Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a Sunday on a donkey, and everybody is so excited. The, the, the king has come. They, they've got these palm branches. They've got uh, shouting, screaming, Hosanna, save us, the king. Like he's, He rides in this triumphal entry. Five days later, they put him on a cross and killed him. That, that escalated quickly, right? Like that, that is, is less than a week, and they turn on him. They were shouting, Hosanna, save us, and then all of a sudden they're say, shouting, crucify him. And how, how do you get there? And if you want to know how you get there, we're right in the middle of it. Because 21, 22, 23, these three chapters in Matthew is where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders. He's pointing out their faults. He's saying, you have failed Israel. You have failed the people. And he's doing that in a confrontational way. Like you'll see, like they, they knew he was speaking about them. But he's got popularity right now. It's still early in the week. And they've got to figure out how to turn the crowd against him in order to, in order to get rid of him. But he is speaking to them, and he is pointing some things out. And, you know, like, we're, we're looking at this parable, the tenants, and we're also going to look at this, the next parable, uh, the wedding feast, because Kai pointed this out last week. There's three parables here that Jesus tells that, that are basically the same thing. They're basically just saying, you failed. Israel, you, the leaders of Israel, you have failed the people, and because of that, the people are in danger. And so it's, it's three parables saying the same thing in, in different ways. But as, as we look at that, I, I don't, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because we'll probably get there, by the way. Like this last week, we're gonna, it's going to take us several months to get through it, okay? So we're just going to roll slow through this thing. But just so you know, Jesus' ministry was about three years. It's not going to take us three years to go through Matthew. So it balances out, really, like if you just think about it. We're going to slow it down and look at this last week, and, and we're going to look at lots of little details but the thing that I think we'll eventually really make a big deal about, I just want to just hint at today, is that none of this is by accident. None of this is just how this played out and God kind of fixed it in the end. No, this is all God's plan. And everything that's happening is Jesus being intentional. He knows where this is going. He knows he's going to end up on the cross at the end of this week. And he's confronting these guys because everything he does is intentional. It's planned. It's his mission. It's his purpose. He came to take our place, to die on that cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. All that is what Jesus was doing. This, this is not an accident. It's not just something that happened. This was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. And just that little nugget of truth as we look at these parables and look at Jesus really kind of pushing them a little bit and kind of instigating some things here. I mean, just a little bit of encouragement there that, hey, if God was willing to send his son for this, you know he's with you. You know he won't withhold anything from you, right? If, if he was willing to not spare his son but give his son for us, we know that he will graciously give us all things. Paul says that in Romans. Like, we know that God is going to give us what we need. Why? Because he gave us the ultimate gift. This wasn't an accident. This is what Jesus came to do. And so we look at these parables that Jesus tells in response to their question. You remember they came to him. Jesus is in the temple. He had just turned over tables, driven people out of the temple, the money changers, the people selling the animals. He got rid of them. He cleared some space. He cleared some room. My house is going to be a house of prayer for the nations. And then he's teaching in the temple, and the religious leaders come up, and they basically said, what authority? By what authority are you doing these things? 
Who gave you the right to come in and clear our temple and drive out our money changers and dry out these people? We're getting a kickback on it. Who gave you the right to do that? What school did you go to to earn this position of teacher of Israel? We're not familiar with it. They come and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? And remember, his, his answer wasn't really an answer. His answer was a question. Hey, who's bab- when John was baptizing, where'd that come from? God or man? They don't have an answer for that. They don't, they, they, that's a trap for them. So they're like, we don't know. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to answer you this. And then he tells them these three parables, which is really, if you think about it, it's really the answer. He's telling these parables to point out, look, look you as the leaders of Israel, you have missed this thing completely. And so three parables confronting the leaders of Israel, really kind of making one big point in three different ways. The first parable of the two sons is he's pointing out that the, the leaders of Israel, they lacked obedience. The two sons, one son said, yes, dad, you need me to go work in the vineyard? I'm going, I'll be there. And then he never went, he never showed up. And that's, that's who the religious leaders are in that parable. And Jesus is saying, you lack obedience. You talk about obedience, and you talk about the law, and you've even given a bunch of extra laws to the people, but you're not really following. You're not really obeying God's instructions. You're not on the same page as him. And so he's pointing out their lack of obedience. And then he tells a story that Morgan just read for us, the parable of the tenants. And he's pointing out their lack of loyalty. This landowner, he has a field, he buys it, he builds a, a wall around it, he builds a, a wine press, he builds a watchtower, he set it all up, and then he leases it out, and these guys are going to work it, they're going to produce the crops, they're going to get to be, they're going to benefit from that, they're going to get to keep some of the fruit, but they're also responsible to the landowner who owns it, he can collect his as well. And they, somewhere along the way, they stopped doing that, they forgot, like, like no, we don't, we don't owe him anything. They forgot they weren't owners, they were just tenants, they were just leasing. And so they rejected the servants, they killed the son, they did all these things because they, they're not loyally serving the landowner. They've, they've misplaced their loyalty, and what they've done is they've started making it all about themselves. They're starting to, this is all about me, this is all about what I'm doing. And so Jesus is pointing out in that parable that they lacked loyalty. And then he turns and he tells them one more parable about the wedding feast, about a king who had a son who was getting married, and he's invited all these people to come. All these people, the nobles, the dignitaries, and none of them come. None of them want to come. They ignore his invitation. In fact, some of the people come and invite them a second time, and they beat them and they kill the people that are the messengers. Like They really don't want to go to a wedding. And at the end of that story, they're on the outside. They're, they're not at the wedding. There's a bunch of people at the wedding that you wouldn't expect, and we'll get there in a second. But what he's saying in that parable is that they, these leaders, they lacked a place in God's kingdom. They thought they were kind of ushering everybody into God's kingdom and they were managing it and they were orchestrating and they were, here's the law, here's what we got to do. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not even a part of this. You don't have a place at the table. You're not in at the feast. You're going to be on the outside looking in. You're going to be destroyed because of this. Three parables all really focused, like rifle focused. Jesus instigating some things with these religious leaders to point out, you guys have failed your people. That's what he's saying. And it's really not, it's not that fun, to be honest. It's not, it wasn't fun to work on this this week. Because this is all about the leaders and how they failed and pointing out all the different ways they failed. I'm like, well, that's, this is kind of about me. This, this is no fun at all. I mean, I, I, I walked through this and I'm like, oh, so they would say things and they would tell people to do things and they wouldn't do them? Good thing I never do that. 
Now, the reality is, like, if you think that when I say stuff from up here, it's because I'm doing it perfectly, you're in the wrong place. That ain't me. You're looking at a person instead of God and Jesus. Like, we're pointing to him. Uh, There's... There's a danger in that, and there's, a, there's an encouragement in that. One of my favorite pastors to read and follow is John Piper, and he, he said this once. He said, if a, if a pastor is living up to his preaching, his own preaching, then his, then his preaching is too low. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all on this journey together. I'm on the journey with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm opening this and saying, here's what God is calling us to, and it's higher, and it's deeper, and it's bigger, and I'm, I'm trying to get there too, but I don't. I don't measure up, and I look at what Jesus is saying. Is that you, you leaders, you fail the people because you're not obeying. And it, it's like, oh, man, this is kind of scary. And I think about how they, they forgot, and they, they, they made everything about them. They wandered away. They, everything was about them. And both these stories, and we're going to unpack that. Everything's about them. They became the, the owners in their mind. We don't owe him anything. This is about us and our profit and our fruit. I don't have to go to that wedding. I've got other stuff to do. It was all about them all the time. And I think about the danger, the temptation that, uh, that I, any leader, and all of us face to make things about us instead of about God. It's always right in front of us. And I'm reading this. I'm studying this. And I'm like, oh, man, this is some hard stuff. This is kind of scary. This is not fun to be a leader and have to work through this passage. So here's what I decided. I was like, I'm going to back this up and get all of us involved. Man, let me bring everybody into this so it's not just about me today. Like, I don't want to make it about me, and I sure don't want to make all the negative stuff about me. So how about some negative stuff for everybody? It's free today, just for all of us. And, and the reality is that the religious leaders, they were leading in such a way that they had failed the people, and the people were following them. And so really, everybody is involved. There's a warning here that Jesus is giving that's very specific for the religious leaders. But if you widen this up enough, you see that it's a warning for every single one of us. And the warning is so clear, it's so easy to see, it's, it's, not, it's not hidden. The warning is, is this, it's for all of us, don't reject the son. That's what they've done. He, he tells a story about the tenants, and they sent, the, the, the owner said, oh, it's time for me to get some of the fruit of this crop on that place that I own. And so he sends some servants. And Matthew says he sends a group of servants. And it says that they took one of them and they beat him and one of them they killed and one of them they stoned. And then the the owner sends another group of servants, which that is not the job you want in that moment. What what happened to the other guys? We don't want to talk about that. Just go. Go tell him. And they did the same thing to them. And then then he says, I I know. I know what will get their attention. I'm going to send my son. They'll know. They'll respect him. And they're like, oh, this is the air. We, we can have the whole place for ourselves if we kill him. And so they kill him. They throw him outside the vineyard. And he's saying, you, you've rejected the son. When Jesus tells a story, everybody knew. He's talking about how they treated the prophets. And then he's predicting how they're about to treat him. That's what this is all about. This, you, you didn't listen to the prophets. You beat them. You, some of them you, you killed. You treated John the Baptist, who was here to prepare the way for the Messiah. You treated him the same way. You rejected him. That's where this whole conversation came out of. And Jesus is saying, you've rejected, you've rejected God. You've rejected his plan. You're not obeying him. You're, you're, you're not loyal to him, but you've rejected the son. And that's the warning for all of us. Don't reject the son. Now here in this story, when Jesus gets to the end of the, the tenant story, he says, hey, what do you think the owner's going to do? And they're like, he's going to wipe them out. He will get rid of them. He will bring in some other people to take over that, 
that vineyard. And Jesus says, yeah, of course. But then he says something that's kind of unexpected in verse 42. Jesus said to them, hey, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. That's from Psalm 118. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to a people producing its fruits, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So here Jesus takes this passage from, Psalm, from the Psalms and says, hey, remember when, when God was talking about how there's going to be a stone that's rejected, and then it's going to become the cornerstone, the most important stone, and he says, that's me. I'm that stone. So this story about them killing the son and the story about them not going to the wedding because they don't care about it, like that, that's a story that's talking about the stone, this, this stone that is going to be rejected. And the religious leaders reject the stone, people reject the stone, but it is, God has taken the rejected stone and made it the cornerstone, which means it's the most important part of the building that God is making. And so when you talk about rejecting the son, when this is a warning for us, don't reject the son, Jesus points to this idea of a, of a stone. And he has some pretty harsh things to say about it. This stone, man, if you fall on it, break you to pieces. If it falls on you, crushed. And, and what happens is when Jesus takes this and, and applies this Old Testament idea of stone and rock to himself, and then the New Testament writers after this, they remember this and they continue to develop this, this whole thing that, that we start to see Jesus in this gospel story as this rock. We start to see it as this stone, this cornerstone type of story. And it's a thread throughout all of our Bibles. And it all now, because what Jesus says, it all revolves around him. That's why we have that old song, Jesus is my rock and he rolls my blues away. Shooby doo wop doo wop wop whatever. Like, Nick, why don't we sing that? That's such a good song. So, Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. And when the, when the New Testament writers start to develop this, they start to look at how we, we, we mess up because we reject that stone. We reject the sun and we're rejecting the stone. And here's how that plays out. One way is that it becomes a stone of stumbling. It, it becomes a, a, something that's there that trips us up and keeps us from ever getting to where we're supposed to, to get. And for I think one of the ways you can describe that is when you look at the story of Jesus and you just can't believe it. Like It becomes a stumbling stone, the gospel story, what Jesus did, who he was, what he came to do, all of that becomes something that so many people trip over that stone. I cannot accept it. I cannot believe it. I mean, think about it. God took on flesh the creator of everything. He takes on flesh. He was born of a virgin. And we started to talk about miracles and stuff. We're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then he lived a perfect, sinless life. And people are like, that doesn't make sense. And then, the, then you go, and then your God was crucified on a cross like a common criminal. And it's like, no, I can't go there. The Greek mind who was all into philosophy and deep thinking, they, they, that was, was a foolish story to them. It was a stumbling block. It was so foolish. Like, no, a God doesn't die on a cross like a criminal. And then, just to make it even crazier, three days later, he comes out of the grave and he's alive forever. That just, so many people just stumble over this. I can't accept the story. The story's too crazy. And it becomes the stumbling stone, the stone of stumbling where we cannot mentally get around it. And there's tons of evidence for our faith. But it is still faith. It is still us saying, you know what? I'm going to trust that this story is 
the story of all stories. And I'm going to put my faith in him, even if there's some things about it I don't understand. That's, that's how I'm going to follow. That's how I'm going to approach him in this. But that stone, Jesus, the gospel and Jesus becomes kind of a stone of stumbling for some people. And another way the Bible talks about it is a rock of offense. And this one may be even more close to home for us, especially in our culture. The offense is basically the idea that you needed a savior is offensive to some. To the Jew, it was so offensive because they thought we are God's people. We're born in the right family, of the right tribe, the right pedigree, the right heritage, the right schooling, the right learning. Family's right. Everything's right. I'm doing all the things. I'm keeping the law. I'm, 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 I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm doing all the things, and I'm earning my way to God. I'm, I'm earning my own righteousness. That's what the, the, the Jewish mind thought. And the, the story of the cross became offensive to them because the story of the cross says you can't earn your way to God that you and I have no hope of ever doing enough things to get there. Like we can't be born in the right family, or our parents go to church, or we're part of a group, or what. Like there's nothing we can do. And so the, the story of the cross says that our lives were so messed up, that we had rebelled against God so badly that he had to send his son to die for us. He had to send his son to take our place. And when he, when he was on the cross, he was taking the punishment for sin that we should have had to take. He was paying the penalty for our rebellion that we should have had to pay. And this, guys, if you think that you're okay, and there's so many in our culture that think, I'm fine, I'm a good, I'm a good person, I'm, I'm doing enough things, God's gonna be okay with me. If you think that, then this story is offensive. It's a rock of offense. It's like, no, you, you're gonna trip over that every time. This, this will crush you if you think that you're fine and you don't really need any help. Because the the gospel story, what Jesus came to tell us is that we were not fine. We were not okay. We needed to be rescued. So what Jesus says is, hey, this stone that was rejected, stumbling, offensive, tripped over, all that, this stone is actually, God's going to use it to be the cornerstone. And it's the cornerstone of all for all of life. Which is a Maybe the most practical way that we can understand how we reject Jesus, because some of us are in here and like, wait, I, no, I've, I've gotten past all the stones and the rock of offense. I knew I needed a Savior. I knew I needed to follow him. I, I knew I needed to trust in him. I couldn't do this on my own. And we put our faith and trust in only Jesus, and that's why we're here. That's why we're a part of the church. But he's the cornerstone for all of life. And sometimes we say, yeah, I have, my faith is in Jesus, but when we look at our lives, it doesn't look like he's the cornerstone for everything. He's the cornerstone for all of life. I means he's the most valuable thing in the world. He's, there's nothing worth pursuing more than him. It's like we pursue him, treasure him, value him. He's preeminent. He's ultimate in everything. And we can say those things and sing those things, and then we walk out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we chase after other things, and we pursue other things, and we look to other things to give us what only Jesus can do. And he's not really in our day-to-day -day life preeminent and ultimate and the one that we value the most and pursue the most. And that's where this is a warning for every single one of us. Like he wants, God has taken this stone that so many reject and said, no, he's the most important stone in your life. Everything's supposed to revolve around him. Everything's supposed to be informed by him. The gospel story is supposed to play out. Your faith in Jesus is supposed to have a, have a role in every single area of your life. And it's really easy for you and me on Wednesday or Thursday to reject that and move away and think that something else will do it. 
Jesus is giving us a warning. Don't reject the sign. Don't, stum- don't stumble over this. Don't, don't, don't be offended. You, you and I, we're all needed help. And let him be the cornerstone for all of life. That's the warning. Now, guess what? There's good news here. I found it. Dug deep, found it. There's good news for every single one of us in here. We need that. And here it is. We're all invited. Every single one of us is invited into God's family, into God's kingdom. There's a wedding feast that God is planning. And every single one of us is invited. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter if you're from uh, the, the Republic of Texas or you're from Russia. It doesn't matter. Like, we're all invited into this thing. Doesn't matter how good you've been, doesn't matter how bad you've been, doesn't matter how close you've stayed or how far you've run away. We're all invited. That's the good news of this. I mean, this king's throwing us wedding feast for his son. Sends out all these invitations. Everybody you would expect to come. And they don't. And then he fills, he fills the room with all these other people because everybody's ultimately invited. So the good news is for all of us, we're all invited. And here's where it starts. The unlikely are welcome. The unlikely people are the ones that are welcome and invited in and going to be at this feast. And guys, that sounds pretty simple, but I'm telling you, that's something we need to grab a hold of. In this story, you got all the people that you would expect to be at a king's son's wedding, and they don't come. The dignitaries, the nobles, the royal, like all those people that if if a king's throwing a wedding for his son, this is the invitation list, and they all say no. I'm not doing that. Nope, good, I'm fine. (laughs) And so the king says, well, we'll find somebody else to come. We'll find somebody else to get in here. Look at verse 8 of Matthew chapter 22. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. These were not the people on the, uh, on the invitation list. These are not the people you would expect to be at the king's son's wedding. And he fills the hall with that. Jesus is saying, look, everybody's invited to this thing. Your background doesn't get you in. Your, your, your portfolio doesn't get you in. Like, everybody's invited. The unlikely among us are invited. You, you know, you got two groups of people, everybody breaks it in, like, you know, do you like Neil Diamond or not? There's two groups of people for everything in the world, right? That's where I started. Yeah, I don't know why. But here in this story, you got two groups of people. And you got a group of people who think that they've earned their spot. They think that they deserve their spot. Look at who I know. Look at how I'm connected. I should be there. And they're not there. They're on the outside looking in. And then you got a group of people who are unexpectedly promoted into the king's wedding feast. It's unexpected. It's unlikely. This is not the story you thought this was going to be, and that's the story of the gospel, that all of us are invited, and the unlikely are the ones that are welcome. Now, here's why it's so important. This is only good news, really, if you get that. 
If you're walking around thinking, I'm pretty good, I'm fine, like God's probably really wanting me on his team because of all that I had to offer, this, this gospel story is never going to be that really, really great good news that we're talking about. But when you realize, I didn't deserve a spot here. I was, I was so unlikely to be grafted in this story. And I'm talking about those of you that have been right close to God, your family brought you up, you've never really wandered too far, maybe a couple things in college that you don't want to talk about. But for the most part, it's been right there, and you're pretty good, and you're doing it all. And, like, and then you go, oh, no, wait, I'm ultimately really unlikely to be in this thing. And those of you that have like, no, that's not my story at all. I ran far, far down that road. And you realize how unlikely you are that God has went and pursued you as that lost sheep and brought you back in? Like when you understand we're unlikely, this is really good news. This is crazy good news. I didn't deserve this. I couldn't earn this. Couldn't get in. And he invited me in and all the unlikely ones among us, all of us, are welcome but there's this other part of the story that I don't want us to miss because it's really interesting. It probably took people by surprise when Jesus was telling it. And it basically makes this point that we don't get into this feast on our own merit. We've kind of already talked about that, but it's like Jesus wanted to hammer it home. So I want you to look back at Matthew 22, verse 11. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, How'd you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, hey, bind him hand and foot, cast him in the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. I thought you said we had good news. That's kind of scary, isn't it? There's a wedding feast, all the people were invited, hey, go find people, fill up the wedding, the, the banquet hall, fill it up. And there's all these people in. The king walks in. It's like, okay, let's get this party started. Wait a second. That guy's dressed inappropriately. It's like, what's going on? I'm, I'm glad I've tucked in my shirt, you know? Like, what, what's happening here? And Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot of clues. So just so you know, I, 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 man, I've read a lot about this. And most scholars think there's, there's some interesting stuff here. But most agree that if you just think about this story, the story, these were not the people on the original invitation list. The servants went out and found them on the road. They were found over there working. They weren't, they weren't prepared to go to a wedding that day. They weren't dressed for that. And they said, hey, the feast is ready. Let, let's, let's go now. And so they, they came in. And the king, because he wants to have a good party, because he's a good king, he says, hey, give everybody some wedding garments. Give everybody a robe when they come in. So the king provides the robe. The king provides the wedding garment. And he walks in and he sees there's one guy that's not wearing one. He says, well, how'd you get in here without that? We were giving them out at the door. Like, what happened? And they, this guy's speechless. I think he's speechless because his answers would have been worthless. Like, I think his answer might have been something like, well, my mom and dad are here. Wasn't that enough? All, all my friends are here. I was working with those guys. We were all invited. I just walked in. I, I have to put that on to get in. I thought I was fine. And he's... He's cast out of this thing because we don't get in on our own merit, not, not even when we walk in the door. Like it's all because of God's grace. It's all because of his invitation. When Jesus takes our place on that cross, 
When Jesus dies in our place, he takes the punishment and the penalty for our sin, but here's what happens on the other side of that. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus and him alone, he gives you in return his righteousness. So you don't come in on your own merit. You don't come in because you earned it or you cleaned yourself up or you you dressed appropriately. You, You get in because he provides his righteousness. Jesus was perfect, sinless, When you put your faith in him, he gives you that to clothe you. I want you to see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith alone, we know that. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Another translation says you're clothed in Christ. That the righteousness that gets us into God's presence into the wedding feast, into the party, into the kingdom, that's not a righteousness that we muster up. It's not something we do on our own. It's not, here's what all we've done. Is it good enough? No, it's never good enough. It's a righteousness that comes from God as a gift that he gives us. That Christ gives us to cover our sin so that we come into the wedding feast and we have been covered in Christ and his righteousness. And so we got a place at the party. It's not our own merit. So if you're, you're in here today, like, remember the warning. This is, you think, I'm fine because my family's here. I'm fine because I'm part of the youth group. I'm fine because of this. I'm fine because of this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Look at all the things. No, none of it's good enough. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus and let him give you his righteousness? That's the only thing that gets you in, and that's the only thing that keeps you in. His righteousness, not ours. And there's one, one last part of this good news that I think we need to unpack a little bit, and that is that the feast that we're invited to, it will never disappoint us. This this feast, this party, it'll, it'll, it'll be the best thing, most satisfying thing for all eternity. It'll never disappoint us. Now, here, here's something interesting. When these guys, when we talk about them rejecting Jesus and how he wants to be the cornerstone of all life, one of the things that they did was that they just didn't take it serious, right? They either thought it was all about them and they were the, we, we, we leased this thing, but now we're the owners, so we're going to reject the son. Or in the case of the wedding feast, they were invited and they said, I've got something else to do. I, I want you to see this back in verse, verse 4. Again, he sent... Chapter 22, other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, look, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So why didn't they come? Had something better to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I got some crops to tend to on my farm. I got a business to run. I got it. That's, that's a little bit more important than going to this little wedding. And so they ignored it. They were like the cornerstone of all life. And they're like, no, there's something else that's more valuable. And on the other side of this, we have this truth that if you're in this kingdom, if you're a part of this, this family of God, you're at this wedding feast, you'll never be disappointed. You, you don't value your job or, your, or even your family or your activities or anything more than you value Christ and it causes some sacrifice in your life along the way. It causes you to miss out on some things. You'll never look back on the end and go, oh, man, I regret. 
pursuing Jesus with everything I have. Because he's the cornerstone of all life, and he's the cornerstone that will never, ever disappoint you. It'll never let you down. There'll be no regrets. He'll never be like, I should have done something else besides following Jesus and submitting to him. And there's so many different things in my life that I put under his control and look to him to inform all the areas of my life. And you'll just never regret it. You'll never look back and go, that was a waste. Everything about this feast that you're invited to, this kingdom that God's bringing you into, none of it will ever disappoint you. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there won't be disappointments. There's disappointments every time we turn on the TV or look on the internet. Or there's disappointments in all of life. People will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. People in the church will disappoint you. Your family members will disappoint you, sometimes even more than anybody because you're so close to them. You, there's so many disappointments. Your pastors will disappoint you. If we have not disappointed you yet, stick around, okay? Give us a chance. People will disappoint you. He never will. He's faithful through everything. He will never let you down. And Peter is writing a about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he refers back to the same passage in the Psalms, points back to Jesus, and he says this, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, because Jesus is that stone, will not be put to shame. There's no disappointment when you're following him. There's no disappointment when you give it all for him. There's no disappointment when you sacrifice anything else to make him ultimate and value and treasure him above everything else. There's nothing that will ever disappoint you in that because he doesn't disappoint. He doesn't put us to shame. <laughs> There's that old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Such a good picture of what Jesus is talking about here. Such a good proclamation, something to proclaim. Here's the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. That's where my hope is. It's all my hope is there. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, not my works, not my merit, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. All my trust and all my faith on him. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't reject the sun. Allow him to be the cornerstone of all of your life, and you'll never be disappointed, because that is the only solid ground that exists in our world today. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the truth in your word that we need. We need the warnings. We need the encouragement. We need the reminders. We need all of it. I need it. God, help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Help us to respond by allowing you, carving out our lives so that you are the cornerstone of all of our life, that you're central and preeminent and ultimate and most valuable in everything that we do. Let that inform every part of our lives for your glory, God, and our joy. God, keep us 
Monday through Saturday, every day, from rejecting you with our lives. And help us to trust in you and only you for all of life and all of eternity. In the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.